Welcome back to another episode of the Max Term Podcast. Kyle Stitcher alongside James Finch. And today we are back into our future outlook series, taking a look at the Nashville Predators. Predators are probably going to finish this current season around the playoffs. Uh, they'll probably be in, in the hunt, if you will. It's, it's it's kind of football time, so you know that in the hunt graphics always on TV, especially for me as a lifelong Bills fan. I, I'm very used to the in the hunt graphics. So anyways, uh, we appreciate you listening to this podcast, subscribing available pretty much on all major podcast platforms. Give us a follow on Twitter at AFP analytics is kind of where we do a lot of the analysis at max term pod is this podcast where we'll tweet out new episodes. Both of our personal accounts can be found from the at AFP analytics handle. Also on blue sky, all our, our names basically will find us on Blue Sky plus the two other business accounts, if you will. And any ads, anything like that that are associated with this podcast are not necessarily products that we're endorsing. We would be overtly telling you that we're working with or endorsing a product. No inside information, nothing like that for this episode. I, I don't know if I could pull any inside information for the Nashville Predators anyways. But anyways, that's, that's kind of a joke as we get into it. So Nashville Predators future outlook is I'll, I'll, I'll i jokingly said this phrase before we started the world is their oyster they have freedom yeah so they they're an interesting team because if if we look back to this past off season and kind of how we were viewing the predators it was kind of tough to gauge what they were going to do with as far as what they should do and again this is off-season point of view we were kind of looking at them as like should they start selling some players off maybe um just kind of one of those teams who's constantly in the middle and not quite good enough um we were kind of questioning some moves that they made um so they retained 50% on Ryan Johansson. They bought out Matt Duchesne. They signed Ryan O'Reilly. Um, wasn't really sure at that time like what the plan was necessarily. I'm not going to say I was wrong. Um, I don't think we're at the point to say definitely I was wrong. But... They're playing better than I thought they would be. I kind of looked at their offseason. So I, I don't fully disagree by any means, but I kind of looked at their offseason as they were clearing things up, giving themselves a little bit of a clear picture while also recognizing that they probably needed someone to, like, they didn't have anyone without bringing in O'Reilly to play realistically first line center. And from a development standpoint, I don't think you want to throw a young prospect to the absolute wolves. So it, it makes sense to bring O'Reilly in to be to kind of shield your your younger players a little bit, provide some leadership, everything like that. It, it makes sense. And I think them clearing their cap up a little bit also makes sense. I think I'd question the Matt Duchesne buyout more than that looks a little rough that that's so the Ryan Johansson trading him and retaining and then signing O'Reilly fine like you're again you're retooling 
it, it wasn't yeah. working as it was. So that's fine. It's the Matthew Shane buyout that I think I question a little bit more. Yeah, to me, he was still a pretty solid player. He might not have been living up to the AV, but he was still pretty solid. He was a top six guy. He was producing at that level. And looking at what that buyout is going to be, um, so this year it's a little over two and a half. Next year it's going to be slightly over five and a half. The year after that, slightly over six and a half. And then it drops to about one and a half, three more seasons after that. So it, he's going to be on the books through the 28-29 season. The So that's five more years after this the next two um fairly sizable after that i don't think it should be very significant as far as it's not going to hurt their cap uh maneuverability i think i think so there, there's kind of a duality here in that I don't think they needed to move him, but if they decided no. that they that that was the path they wanted be, for whatever reason they wanted to retool, they wanted to change things up, change the culture, if you will. I mean, obviously, like the Nashville hasn't had stellar results with him, so without him, it's it's not an issue. Sure, I think the preferred road to go is just like they did with Ryan Johansson, but it probably had to be an either or. So looking looking right now, Ryan Johansson and Matthias Ekholm are both retained salary transactions for the Nashville Predators. That's two. You're allowed three. Johansson this year and next year. Ekholm this year, next year, and a third year. And Duchesne would have been the exact same as Eckholm, three years. I don't know if that's a winning strategy either. Well, yeah, so if if you're a team who wants to be good, which it seems like that is Nashville's thought here, um, they would really be limiting themselves using up all three. And that's even, you, you want to send out a pending UFA and, in this current cap climate, there are a lot of issues around the league as far as having cap space available. That almost makes the retention slots just a little bit more valuable to have in your back pocket if you need it. Um, so I, I, I think that definitely went into it. Um, I, I don't know for sure what the buyouts would have looked like i would have been curious about maybe trying to retain on duchene and buy out johansson i don't know how what his buyout looked like it, it could have been fairly bad itself it, it's interesting i i want to touch on bringing ryan o'reilly in at the time i was kind of I didn't really have a real reaction to that. I, I wasn't fully grasping, like, why retain on Johansson, send him out, buy out Duchesne, he's gone, bring in Ryan O'Reilly. Good player, but it just felt, like, weird. Okay, are you trying to be good? Are you 
giving younger players more opportunity. You mentioned leadership with Ryan O'Reilly, and I think that was probably a big factor is he's the type of player where I think certain teams may have circled him on their free agent target list for more than just the play he involves. Like that's the guy you want in the locker room because there are some younger players, especially some forwards on this roster who, yeah, it would make sense to bring in a leader like Ryan O'Reilly and really help those guys transition to the NHL. So I I guess do we want to move in to kind of talking about let, those let me put a little you brought you brought up what the consequences would have been for okay. ryan johansson yep. and a buyout so real quickly pulled up cat friendly buyout calculator tremendous looked at it at as of june um of 2023 so before the off season basically little bit little bit confusing i think i i think i kind of got this right um the buyout cost would have been 2.6 basically 2.7 for four years on the cap so significantly better than net uh duchene long kind of stretched out and it also would have only been for four years yeah i think so they would have saved in in this season next season 5.3 million dollars on on johansson that's not a huge concern for them with the amount of cap space they have but you're also only then would have had 2.6 in dead cap money for two more years i guess two additional years so you would have had savings and then two additional years of cap hit that seems a little bit more favorable than duchene so i i think you're onto something wondering why it was why they did what they did i'm gonna guess it's the the market dictated yeah, that so to that's really the the factor that we don't know and it's this is something that's very easy to pick on in hindsight and factoring and we don't know what that market truly was it it's very possible what happened was kind of the the best nashville had to work with I think my bigger question is if if that's the case, maybe they should have kept Duchesne one more year and then executed the buyout. I'm not I don't know exactly how that would have played out anyways. I, I don't have the math in front of me, but just just spitballing some ideas like they, they didn't have to to move on from Duchesne this off past off season by any means. No, so they've got some younger guys coming up as forwards, but where they're playing in the lineup this season, Matt Duchesne being there would not have really impacted the younger, let's call them the future of the team. Um, they would still pretty much be in those roles. It might have impacted some of the depth guys getting time, like a Cole Smith, Michael McCarron type guys, but that that's fine. So I... I don't know. I I would have kept him another year, um, especially because he he was still playing well. So I don't know. Maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe he wasn't a a great fit in the system they were gonna try and run. I I don't know. I don't think that's really the case. That that wouldn't make a lot of sense because I, I would have thought the system that they're playing under um would be a good fit yes yeah. and under andrew burnett would be a good fit for duchene i'm i i wonder if it's a locker room thing like could be. that we just don't know about and that 
and that's fine. I mean, but they brought in, they sent out Matthew Shane Braun and Gustav Nyquist. Like, you didn't need to do that, I, in my opinion. Well, no, I, I guess to get to the numbers specifically, so they 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 have the caps. They could have kept him and pretty much made the same moves that they made. Um, it might not be quite. Yeah, I, I think they technically would need a little bit less, but you're talking like one of these depth guys. They, well, they, yeah, they they could have made this work. Don't bring in Gustav Nyquist, and they're fine. And, and I, yeah, but even like you can have one of these guys with the minimum just not on the roster, and you're good. Or maybe. I don't know, Luke Shen isn't brought in or pretty much all of the, they have seven defensemen on the roster and they're all making at least two million. Like you don't need that necessarily. The, the amount of space they would have needed to keep Duchesne is very, very minimal in the hundred thousands. I it would have been possible to keep him. Not too hard to make that work. So it it might be a locker room thing. All all of this, I mean, to me, looking at it from an asset cap management standpoint, it's setting up like they are trying to maybe be a broker for a trade deadline move and be rewarded handsomely for doing so because they have cap space. They left that one retained salary spot open. I I would classify them as retooling, borderline rebuilding, but when you're doing that, you want assets, especially if you can get them for free. To me, Nashville is setting themselves up to to be a broker, a middleman, if you will, in the next couple months. Yeah, and, you know, they're playing well enough right now. Uh, they're about a 500 team, but they're still in the race. With that cap space that they have, with the extra retention spot they could be buyers who are also kind of in on those deals where hey if you can't quite make that trade work we can retain a second time on a guy's deal and maybe they're kind of buyers to compete but also sellers of cap space one uh, on our on a previous episode, we we went through Frank's hair of always big board, and we kept talking about a couple players for Nashville, in like the idea. So we we mentioned swing as big as Elias Lindholm, but I think the player we kind of liked the idea of a lot was Jack Roslovic, in that they can bring him in. They have the ability to fit his salary, no problem fitting that and basically get a free look for however many games in the season to see if he's someone that they could maybe sign to a longer-term contract, and then if it's clear it's not working out, okay, that's fine, just move on. So we, we talked about that in the last episode. We like Nashville, could, as you said, could be a buyer while also being a seller while also or being a broker or all of the above. They, they have the flexibility to do just that. Yeah, so you mentioned Roslovich. They they could, in theory, add him as, okay, we, we want to make a push for the playoffs and still have space to help out in another deal and maybe use that retained salary or take on a player and, I don't know, they take on a player and waive them if they have to. They, they've got space. 
and more specifically, they have a pretty significantly more amount of cap space than the majority of the NHL, and it's going to put them in a pretty advantageous spot come the trade deadline. So usually in these episodes, we kind of talk about building blocks. Yeah. So let's start Let's start working through the building blocks with Nashville, and I think I'm kind of leading this discussion to a specific position because there is one building block, but I think there's a question of that building block. So four words, Philip Forsberg's under contract for, what, eight more years, seven more years? I, seven more Seven more years. Seven more years, eight and a half million dollars. That that's that's his career. That, yeah. He's he's a lifelong prider unless unless there's a trade that's made. Ryan O'Reilly's the next longest forward under contract for only four years. Uh or th- am I missing someone? Three that, more. Three more at, well this so year and then this three year, more, yes. Yes. Is it this year and three more or is it this year and it's this year and three more, yeah. Okay. So not not a ton for o- O'Reilly, so but yep. he he's the only other one, and then Forsberg's this year, and then six additional for for clarity there. So they have room at forward, and I'd also say they don't. We'll get into prospects a little bit more, but there is no obvious like centerpiece prospect at forward in their system. I don't, unless unless we want to talk about. We'll, we'll come back to the forward prospects, but there's no, like, stud that we know yeah. we can pencil in on as, like, their 1C, like we have been able to do for other teams in this series. No, so, I mean, there's some guys up right now, three of them. So there's Philip Tomasino, who might end up being more of a winger. Same with Luke Evangelista, I think winger. And those guys, you're, like, you're happy if they turn into – top six wingers and even if they're more of that middle six fringe guy you're happy with it there is a couple centers um one of them isn't as young as you might want a building block to be but he's still younger uh thomas novak um really Really came on to the scene, I would say, last year. And uh, he's not your elite 1C, but he maybe could be a 2C. Um, he's just not your elite elite center. Um, so, I mean, that that's a good player to have. And there's one more, a bit younger. He's 22 right now. Yuso Parsonen. Another player who last year actually played pretty well when he was brought up. This year, on the surface, not going so well. You look at some underlying numbers, and it should be going a quite a bit better than it is. Um, so I, I'm not really worried about his play this year. I, I think he'll bounce back. But again, we'll keep kind of hammering this home, I think, throughout the episode. Good player, bright future, not an elite-level pencil him in on the first line type of guy so maybe they have a winger or two maybe they have a fill-in center but if we're talking true building blocks i think i think we're at the they don't have that true one c building block no defense roman yossi is going to be there another five years well this year and four others 
Ryan McDonough this year, two more. Luke Shen this year, two more. And that's, oh, and, and Jeremy Lazan as well this year and two more. But again, on defense, they have Yossi locked up for rest of his career, basically, again, mm-hmm. unless, unless there's a trade that occurs. There's, I mean, yes, he's a cornerstone, but by the time they're truly building out, he's 35, probably. Oh, yeah. And I'm being probably generous for Nashville's quick retool rebuild here. So defense, and again, prospect-wise, took Tanner Mullendike in the draft. I mean, that's a mid-round draft pick. He's probably their top prospect at the position, and I'm not like I'm not penciling him in as a one as a long term one D. He's a comfortable projection for him would be a, a top four defenseman. We've gone forward to defense here. We're kind of seeing a consistent theme, and I think Nashville is one of those teams, and yes, they were close to a cup not too long ago, but they're generally one of those teams who's kind of caught in the middle. They're like a a wild card team, not really good enough to be a true cup contender, but not bad enough to draft the high-end talent, and that kind of shows, and we'll, we'll get to the prospects a little more heavily later on in the episode, but a lot of decent players, good talents, but lacking that top guy, the the 1C, even not even just the 1C, but like that elite goal scorer, lacking the number one defenseman, you could say the heir to Roman Yossi. Not, not currently in the system. Where that narrative changes a little bit, but it's also still a very foggy situation is with the goalies. Yes. And so that was where I thought we would kind of get at least to start with building blocks. They have a building block. I don't know who. So they kind of have, in a way, possibly two building blocks as far as goalies are concerned. But I think the main issue for anyone who is listening to this and doesn't really know hockey, which... Props to you for making it this far. Yeah, you're probably not um, listening, but that's okay. When when hockey's played, there's one goalie. So they've got Yusei Saros, who is a top five goalie in the NHL. They have Yaroslav Askarov, a young Russian goalie. He's in the AHL right now with Milwaukee. Pretty comfortable saying top three goalie prospect across the NHL. Definitely top five. Who who else would you would you put Jesper Wallstadt from Minnesota? Yeah, uh, that's probably. Yeah, that's probably the name. So maybe top two. Comfortable. Yeah, yeah, there's. I mean, there might be Devin Levi, Buffalo, uh, Detroit has. I can't. I'm blanking. Sebastian Kosa. Sebastian Kosa. I think Askarov beats Kosa and probably Levi. Levi. Yeah, so um, it's, it, as a prospect, at least. But so that that's the level we're talking and what they have. Yes. In their so, so you you have someone who is 
projected to be at minimum a number one, a pretty solid number one, if not an elite or franchise type of goalie. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's kind of, I, I mentioned the situation's a little foggy. You say Saros, he's got this year and next year left on his contract, and then he's a UFA. So he's making $5 million each year. You've got a goalie who was in the AHL last season. He's there right now. Goalies can take a while, but he's knocking on the door, and you have a situation where you're – I think it's fair to call him your franchise goalie is going to be free to sign wherever he wants. Not this off season upcoming, but the one after decision to be made. Do you ride out that contract? Do you decide to trade him and get what I would think would be a great return? Do you extend him? And maybe it's the young prospect goalie that might get used elsewhere in a trade. So Askarov's off to a really, really solid start in the AHL this year. So I don't even know if he's going to need to finish the year in Milwaukee. Uh, that might be how it plays out. So I like from a contract structure standpoint, Soros for this year, next year, in theory, Askarov will say finishes this year, dominates the AHL next year, has the ability to split time, not like full on pressure. And then you, you are out from under Soros. So in a normal situation, that's perfect to set up that way. But as you laid out, Saros is not normal. You're not like, you don't want to just let him walk for nothing. He's also young enough where you can argue he he's your long-term answer. 28 years old for a goalie, like signing him for six more years would, maybe, maybe not six, but we'll say five because he'll be about 30 when the contract expires. But you can probably get another seven years each you would think out of it. I mean, we're pushing it there, but the potential for seven years, which would be in theory, Askarov's entire restricted for agent years. So you have to make a decision. As you said, Askarov's name this past summer in uh, Nashville was swirling. And that was rumored that Barry Trotz was looking to use him as the trade piece to move up, to make a splash. Montreal, I think was the team most rumored to move back, but that I would lean towards I don't, I don't know I guess I don't know where I lean in this situation I do want to bring up quickly I think I don't I didn't love the idea at the time because I've always been a Soros fan Nashville picked Askarov 11th overall in the 2020 draft like a lot of people were saying that he could have been a top 10 pick so like value-wise people at the time thought was good but the name that went after him, Nashville would be I would be ideal for Nashville. Anton Lundell. That's the player that Nashville needs. And I don't know if Askarov gets them Anton Lundell or the similar type of player at this point. Yeah, it depends. I think if you had a team needing a goalie who has an abundance of forwards, maybe. But yeah, I mean, that's it's tough. I, I think he would go a long way, at least, to acquiring a player of that caliber. 
it's tough to say exactly how far. It might be Askarov and another, maybe not significant piece, but fairly solid, projectable player, at least like a top four defenseman type of guy paired with him to get that future 1C. Which we can speculate about that because that's one of the main options here. It's pretty much it's Saros or Askarov, and I don't think they have to decide yet. I all I almost don't think they'll decide this season. I think it's a decision that really creeps up this off season when Saros has one year left. That's kind of where you say, "All right, who's our long term guy?" Which would lead me to believe, and you kind of hinted at this you mentioned how well Askarov's playing I think you'd need to get a look at him in the NHL this year because if I I would struggle to make the decision this offseason that Askarov is the long-term answer without seeing him in NHL games yet I mean when the when the backup goalie right now is Kevin Lankinen I I don't think it's too much of a an issue to get Askarov games and I don't want to beat up Lincoln in too much here because he actually could be someone that as the season progresses and some team has an injury and goal that he he would be a perfectly fine idea for an insurance option as well, especially at 2 million or $1 million. Like that's as good as anything. So maybe, maybe the idea is, Hey, we'll move him at the deadline. There, there might be a market for him. And then Askarov can, split starts I guess with Saros but is that enough games even because you're not plastering Saros to the bench ideally no. you're you're at at I guess worst best but however you want to look at it, splitting 50 50 which is really probably only 20-ish games after the deadline if that so that's like 10 for Askarov and I don't know if that's enough yeah and so something popped into my head but I still don't see it if things went south for Nashville which I kind of lean towards they won't. Roughly a 500 team right now, but I think some of the underlying numbers, it's possible they could improve on that. But let's just say things go south. Do they trade Soros at the deadline? I wouldn't to begin with. Just from an asset management, I think they might be able to do better in the offseason. But... Just entertaining that idea. If they were to trade him at the deadline, well, you've definitely not seen enough games from Askarov yet. So it's almost even worse of a situation that you're kind of forcing yourself into if you're Nashville, if that was the case. Which, I guess, quick side note, Saros won't be traded during the season. I, I would... I would be surprised. Uh, I guess I'll go on record saying that like things would have to be very bad for him to be traded in season. I think there is exactly one scenario that plays out where he could be traded, and that actually has less to do with Nashville and more having to do with the New Jersey Devils realizing they have absolutely everything but have no confidence in their goalie and sa- and put a really nice asset on the table. And say here, Nashville, you can have our borderline elite forward prospect because we have more than enough, or like a Simon Nemich 
I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I think that's the only scenario that I could see playing out in seasons. New Jersey's like, we have a cup team. Our goalies are not it. We can get Soros. We can get him long-term. Let's make that move now. We have the assets. We have the prospects to do it. So I think it's exactly one team in exactly one situation where it could happen, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'm not confident as confident saying he yeah. won't be traded. I think there's a scenario, but it's, it is unlikely. I, I think just moving forward, it is, it makes the decision a bit tougher, tougher to, I guess, understand in in my view, at least really, they need to be getting Askarov games probably soon, if not like right now to really start gathering some data and some info there to really be able to make as educated a decision as possible of who their long-term goalie is. Because whether it's Saros or Askarov that is moved, which I'm, I'm saying traded, hoping that they don't just let this run its course and Saros walks for nothing. They need to be trading one of them. And we kind of touched on there's not an elite forward coming there's not an elite defenseman coming this is your chance to find one of those is figure out your long-term goalie use the other one to improve other areas on the roster we'll say history does is not on Nashville's side here the rangers would be the most recent i I guess the rangers are a couple examples here um, back, well, we'll go back a while trading when they still had a long quiz, they traded Cam Talbot. Didn't get a whole lot in return. It's not, I know it's not the same situation. And Shesterkin and Georgiev, again, not the exact same situation. I think that Askarov's a, a much higher ceiling talent. But at the same point, how much higher ceiling are we talking here? Because well, those guys only got like second round picks. Well, so, like, Gorgiev wasn't supposed to necessarily be a starter. Like, it wasn't shocking that he sort of became one, maybe. Askarov is supposed to be, like, he was drafted with the expectation of this is an elite, possibly a franchise goalie. Gorgiev was maybe best case scenario he's a starter same with Talbot so I I would say with Askarov like you you have a potentially true number one goalie you should be able to get a I I don't know if I would say a true 1c or a true number one defenseman it's possible but you should be able to bring in a potential top pair defenseman, a potential first line forward. And if you're moving Saros, I would say the same thing. Maybe, and if if you get a team that is talking extension and it's a deal where an extension is going to happen, you might be able to really get that top piece. So I, I guess where, where I kind of draw the comparison a little bit, I think if they were to make the move now, 
it, it's different, but both both times the Rangers kind of let that play out a little bit too long and back themselves into a corner. So it because Georgiev, like his first year or two in the NHL, put up nine nine eighteen save percentage, nine fourteen save percentage, and ten and thirty three games respectively. Like th- those are not bad numbers, but then they let it sit a little bit longer, waiting to see what they had. Nine uh nine ten and thirty four games still fine. That was the twenty nineteen twenty twenty season. But then nine oh five, then eight ninety eight. Yeah before they finally pulled the trigger and moved him to Colorado. So it's a cautionary tale that you get too patient here making a decision that you might diminish your asset. And so, again, that that speaks to the let's let's make a decision sooner than later. Yes, I'm with you on that part for sure. I would personally say... Askarov in comparison to a Gorgiev or Talbot is not comparable from an expectation standpoint. Situationally, though, how you want to manage this situation, yes, like you, the longer you wait, you begin to lose leverage as far as maximizing trade value. And, and Gamf, we're talking like with the, I mean, Nashville was a supposedly talking about using him to move up almost 10 spots in the draft like that's significant value right now that's probably not a 1c but it it is a potentially a top-ish forward top-ish defenseman again pack maybe package in another prospect and you and you do have something really really high like or or new jersey comes along and says here have one of our young good players for one of your young good players like i i don't know but Again, the longer this plays out, you it's it's not you, in Nashville's favor. Yes, absolutely, and I I think this is really the this is the big point to make with Nashville. It, it, it is that situation that is the thing to be looking out for. That could make or break their future. You wait too long, you start to lose leverage. You don't get that much of a return. You're gonna end up with a return for these guys that nets you some prospects and they probably could be decent prospects, but it's going to be more of the same of that. This guy could be a top six forward. Okay. We've got a couple top four defensemen, maybe lacking elite top number one guys. So I, I'd almost circle all the way back and say, Nashville almost might need to make this decision at the trade deadline because the minute the offseason hits, teams are going to know they're starting to be backed into a little bit more of a corner. Like I, I So I I'm not against I'm not against them doing it at the deadline. I'm against them doing it at the deadline if if they don't know. So so if they were to move sorrow, so let's say things go south this year. And they move Saros. That is officially committing to the path that Askarov is the future. If if I'm running things, I need to see him in some NHL games. I, like You need to have a little bit of something there where you can say, all right, we feel good about this. But it, it could also be Askarov moves at the deadline. Maybe Nashville's in it and Askarov is... It, it's not... I don't necessarily have to do that, but... 
it, it could play out at the trade deadline. It might actually make more sense because you don't want to wait too long. But I don't know. I, I, I want them to find out what each option truly is before making this decision. I, I think if you're moving Soros, you're always going to, I mean, e- even if Askarov comes up, plays 20 games before you trade Soros, that's still only 20 games for a goalie. And I still don't feel great. Like, I, I think the minute you go down the we're committing to Askarov path, you just have to, you have to accept, you have to accept the consequences yeah. or, or kind of. I guess uh, bask in the achievement, if you will. So I, I that's true. I mean, he could come up and go off for twenty games, and then next year's rough for him. That's how goalies are. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I even I agree with that. I still think like at some point, I, I don't know. At some point, you got to give him a look. Oh, I yes, you, you absolutely it's, do. If it's not there, I think you have a little bit clearer answer. I I think it's the if, yeah. if he does look good, that that's when you start to have questions. But then if it if he doesn't look good, he also loses trade value. So I I don't know. That's this true. Is, this is a it's a tough situation. It's let, let's just let's just go back to the 2020 draft. David Poyle, don't take another goalie because you really don't need it. Take Anton Lundell instead, and we don't have to have this conversation. Yeah, and honestly, if you really want to kind of play that game we can say they should have listened to the max term podcast in the offseason and traded Saros then or askarov then yeah i mean ex- exactly it, <laughs> like, it, it's, so i mean we've spent however long now on yeah. this goalie situation which which is fine because really that's it's that's the big Nash, thing that's for Nashville. Nashville's decision because we'll get into prospects in a second but let's just let's play out their cap situation we always play out the cap situation because for nashville there's not a lot to play out they have i we've kind of already hit it in four seasons if you will so o'reilly's still on the books they have o'reilly forsberg and roman yossi under contract after o'reilly's contract so that would be one more year you have yossi forsberg it's two guys and then they, each of those guys are going to tail off very shortly after that as well. So you have three, if you will, long-term commitments, really two. Like O'Reilly, four years is is fine. You have two long-term big dollar commitments right now. You can absolutely afford to commit to UC Soros long-term if that's your desired path. Everything else, there's no one that I'm penciling in for big contracts. Yeah, no one. There are some... I I mentioned a few forwards at the beginning, but those... If one of them became elite, I I don't want to say out of nowhere, but it would be beating expectations. They were all guys who you are really happy if they are, like, good second line guys so none of them they'll get decent contracts but they're not going to break the bank they're not going to be getting the the deals that are in the eight plus well maybe by the time they sign they could be close to that but they're not going to be taking up that significant portion of cap space you would expect from top line top pair guys i was gonna say i think if any of those tomasino 
uh, Parsonen and Evangelista. If any of those three guys, Nashville has to pay more than $8 million because they performed at that level. I think Nashville is actually happy about that. Oh, yeah. That. So, no, for sure. I, I, I just mean, if we're going to try and project this out. Yeah, exactly. But yes, they're absolutely happy if one of those guys are, if they get super lucky, multiple of them turn into an elite. Uh, elite presence but projecting this out even if they don't like you're saying there's so much flexibility and I guess I can say the near future for Nashville but the caveat there and this I, I guess this is another thing with Nashville that's a little weird touched on it when I mentioned back in the offseason we said maybe they could sell a little bit but they've got a weird like their window is kind of open because of the age of their two stars Forsberg and Yossi we're kind of looking down two three years from now they really have a lot of money to work with a lot of flexibility and we can say that's near future but in terms of that window that Nashville thinks they're in right now that window starts to shut if it's relying on Forsberg and Yossi when Yossi is 35, 36 plus and Forsberg's 32. He'll probably still be playing well, but it. Some teams would be perfectly fine then if they. Because they have elite talent coming up through the system. Nashville doesn't. So their top two stars, which is really their team, they have two stars, as they start aging, the high-level elite players coming in to replace them in that role, that it's non-existent in the organization right now. That's, that's Nashville's main issue. I think Nashville is the first team that we've done in this kind of little series here that I can probably talk myself into making a big free agent move. I, I I don't know if that's I don't know if I'd recommend it, but I think I can talk myself into it. I have one name that I've actually connected to Nashville for years that I I, I still think makes sense. Steven Stamkos, if if Tan if he, Tampa and he don't work out that I I don't know for some reason him and Nashville just seem like a really good fit yeah so I mean I'll, I'll get into Stamkos but really quick Nashville is becoming a destination I, I think we've heard more in recent years just whether it's players wanting to sign there or they have trade protection and they kind of list Nashville as one of the teams they're definitely willing to go to. Nashville, there's it, it seems like they have a little bit of a draw to get players to come there and they can possibly sell, hey, we've got a top-scoring winger, franchise defenseman, franchise goalie. Like, we're close, so the selling points there, I think that there are, I, so Stamkos, 
he's still scoring at a pretty high level. So you're you're confident about that. I think you just you worry about how big of a commitment you're going to have to make because of how old he is. He's 34 right now. So that I like the idea, but all of that flexibility we just talked about, if you have to pay him eight, nine, ten million still, depending on how long of a deal that is, you could have a bad contract pretty quickly on your hands. I there's a different name that I kinda like a little bit more. Also from Florida. Well, the state of Florida, different Florida team, Sam Reinhardt. I think that might... I would be more comfortable with a signing like that for Nashville, just pretty much simply age-wise. Him or Toronto fans cover your ears, Willie Nylander. Yes. Well, uh, that that's another one. Um, now, Nylander doesn't help down the middle as a center. Reinhardt maybe could, but he showed glimpses of that at the end with Buffalo, but he's kind of been wing with Florida. I think they're both equally centers as, as realistically, they're both wingers, but I think they, they, they both have the same flexibility. Like you can, Nylander's played some center to start the year in Toronto this year. I, Again, are either yes. best. I, I think they're both wingers. I think you're long-term signing a elite winger, but well, I, I think also, and this kind of gets lost, I think, a lot when we talk about is a guy a center or a winger. There are guys who are wingers because they don't take face-offs, but when they're playing the game and the system, they may act as centers a lot. Yeah. So I, I, I think the main point here, though, is there are going to be some elite options, at least as of right now. And they have that flexibility, and honestly, to a level that a lot of other teams don't have, that it, it would make sense for them to make a big splash. Can we get weird for a second? Yeah. Let's throw in an offer sheet out of Elias Patterson. If a deal doesn't get done with Vancouver, yeah, do it. Well, like, like, I, like, why that's not? The play, that's, frankly, the player Nashville needs. Yes. Oh, yeah. So... I mean, it, we're, we're we're getting real wild, but the same point, if, if Nashville is going to continue being a middling team, why why not put some pressure on Vancouver here? Like, Vancouver should be able to re-sign them, but, like, make, make it uncomfortable for them and also potentially get the player that you really need as a long-term building block. Yeah, you're going to give up first-round picks, but... If you're again, if you're in the middle of the first round every year, and Pedersen should keep you there, if not push you, kind of uh, later in the first round, if you will, I I I don't have a problem with with doing that for Nashville. I I think I agree for sure. Um, yeah, it's. I think when you have a chance, and this it doesn't happen often, offer sheets. So it's some people say, why well, even talk about it? For me, if you have a chance to acquire someone who is a franchise player, which you can't, there are 
number one top players on teams who I don't think you can label franchise players. There's very few of them. Pedersen's a franchise player. That is a guy, if you give up four first-rounders, that's fine. That That's kind of the point here. It, yeah. and, and, well, I think the other point is I don't know how else Nashville is going to get that type of player because, as we've we've talked through, they seem to still want to maximize the Forsberg-Yossi window. So if you're going to do that, and frankly, those two players are good enough to potentially keep you plus having Soros or Askarov in goal is probably good enough to keep you out of the really high lottery odds year in and year yeah. out. How else are you going to get a top-end talent? So, yeah, you could take a swing on a Nylander, Reinhardt, or or really get the player and hope that they can basically be what Elias Pettersson would be. And I don't know. that Again, offer sheets don't happen, but if there was one that was going to happen and make a lot of sense, and obviously Vancouver still could easily match it. But, like, if Nashville wants to take a swing, that's the swing to take. Sime, Reinhardt, and offer sheet Pedersen. Not, sure. I, I wouldn't say that for a lot of teams because of their cap situation, but I, I it's another important part of this conversation for Nashville is that flexibility that is there. Use it. You, you if yeah. if your window is right now, which for them it is, their their window I, I'm not saying it's actually like a good window necessarily, but it potentially could be. And this window that they currently have that they view themselves in, it's I'll say another three to four years. Yeah. I mean and that's where the first name I led this off of Steven Stamkos, like yeah, could be a name that like for years. on a three, four year deal. Like yeah. I, I don't know. There's there that may, I mean, again, you could do Stamkos and Reinhardt. Is that my recommendation? I don't know, but like, yeah, you, but salary wise, you probably could fit them. Yeah. And I, so I, I go back to what Nashville currently has right now. They have a solid team. There's a lot of those middle six type guys. It's the lack of the elite first line, first pair type players. And I think if you're able to pencil in one of those first line guys that we've just threw out four different names, if you can pencil that in, all of a sudden you look at Nashville's roster and you're like, but this team's pretty good. Like they've got some depth, not bad. Like they could turn into a real actual contender for a Stanley Cup if they have that top forward. I mean, I think that the... So I we're, we're having this discussion. We haven't talked about prospects because I don't think there's a ton that are really worth spending a ton of time on. So their top two forward prospects, I guess maybe three... I, we've, we've had on some, so probably their top two not in the NHL. Matthew Wood... Joachim Kemmel, those 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 are their top two guys. Wood Wood's an intriguing prospect, lighting it up for a second year at University of Connecticut. 
not a powerhouse school, but that doesn't mean they don't play good teams and he's yeah. and he's that team, so he's getting attention and he's performing well. The big comparison for him throughout the draft process was Tage Thompson for multiple reasons, but I think the main reasons size and skill are there. I'm not saying he's going to turn into what Tage Thompson has turned into, but I, I guess I'm not saying he won't. But the safe projection there is he maybe turns into a top six winger, good on the power play, net front maybe, but maybe maybe he's got a good shot. It, he's most likely not becoming the elite top guy. And even if he did, again, we've, we've we went through this. They don't have another guy. Joachim Kemmel is probably no different than the guys that we started, the Evangelistas, the Tomasinos, maybe a little bit higher ceiling, but like they're probably they're not dissimilar prospects. So again, maybe maybe first line, but most likely you're we're looking at another middle six winger. Yeah, if Kemmel can score twenty five goals and play on your second line like that's perfect that that's kind of what you should ex- maybe not expect but like that's the potential you're hoping he reaches but again the we we talked about the Reinhardts the Nylanders the Pedersen even the Stamkos because outside of maybe Matthew Wood we don't have someone for that top line long term and we don't see a path to necessarily drafting one because we think the team's going to be too good. Yeah, the again they're one of those teams. They're they're not good enough to win the Stanley Cup, but they're not bad enough to get that high end elite talent. And their majority of drafts, you can go back and look at someone that was picked in the teens or beginning of the second round who was just perfect. But or not, I guess perfect's not the right word to explain this but just a a perfect draft pick i guess of no one really saw that coming that elite level the sebastian ajos the Braden points David like Posternock. yeah like it, it's you, you can't just plan on doing that it's not likely so being stuck kind of in the middle where nashville they're oftentimes kind of in the late teens it's it's going to be tough to get out of that same kind of draft slot um, because you're you're lacking those elite guys. If you have a chance to get them in free agency, it might be your best chance at finding that elite talent and really taking advantage of the two stars you currently have and where they're at in their careers. Yeah, it's term is. In terms of prospects, I think one name we haven't mentioned, and you were waiting for me to to take the shot, Zachary Leharu. It was a former first-round pick. I mean, 27th overall in 2021. So you would hope that he becomes something, but hasn't. He 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 hasn't really turned a corner. His his best year was rate. Right after he was drafted. So his, his leading into the draft year, not too bad. Had a good year immediately after the draft. Last 
year not great this year not off to a great start especially in the queue where you would we're sorry this year he's in in milwaukee in the ahl but the queue like he should be putting up much stronger scoring offensive numbers because i guess his ahl start i thought it was still the queue his ahl starts fine the thing with him is he's missed time he doesn't have the amount of games you'd like as far as a prospect developing, so it's a tough situation to kind of read. There's talent there. It's just like, at at this point, how well is he going to develop? I don't want to say if he turned into a top six guy like you would want out of a first-round pick. I'm not going to say that would be a surprise, but it is a little... He's trended downward since being drafted, I guess is the way to put it. He, I, I think, is ceiling at this point middle six, maybe more likely bottom six if he's if he's a regular in an NHL lineup. So yeah. defense, Tanner Mullendyke. That's kind of the prospect on defense. I mean, that, and, and he's, I, I don't want to downplay it. He's a good prospect, but again, he's more of a top four potential not a top pair rely on him for 27 minutes if you have to type of defenseman we mentioned Matthew Wood Kemmel Molendyke there's the guys up at forward Parson and Tomasino Evangelista again all have potential to be solid players if they become something more than that and turn into an elite player, it's it's beating expectations. I mean, we we kind of we kind of use Corey Promen from the Athletics list to make sure we're not missing a guy. I think the only other one that I think is a little bit notable is Reed Schaefer, who was acquired in the trade that sent Eckholm to Edmonton. Like he might be, he's really probably a third line winger. And yeah. if, if he if he reaches that, but that if he has a higher ceiling than third line, I mean, I don't know. He's it puts him in the group with the rest of these players. Ex- exactly. And those aren't bad players. I want to keep saying that like this is a decent prospect pool that they have here. It's just lacking that high end talent. There isn't one. Exactly. And that's why I brought up like. I'm not a go pay unrestricted free agent, yeah. big amounts of money, but Nashville's a team that they have the salary cap room. They have the kind of the uh, the structure, the the in terms of years and everything available to have a, maybe a bad contracts on the back end of the books, and they need an elite player. They are the kind of who they're the they have the profile of someone who actually should maybe consider dipping into free agency especially again they're not going to i don't think this year they're getting a top three pick no so, so I, I guess to kind of help paint this picture you look at a team like i i guess edmonton when they picked mcdavid maybe a little more seriously bedard in chicago Eichel and Buffalo. There's your top star. Need to build the supporting cast. Nashville is more of the we have the full supporting cast. Need to find a top star. And 
having that supporting cast already is making them good enough to not be in position to draft that star. So they they might have to go find it. And the plus they have going for them is their cap situation is pretty pretty good. So yeah, I, I think all of that pair it with where Yossi and Forsberg are in their careers, it would make sense to try right now because in four years at the end of Forsberg and Yossi and you have been good enough that you still don't have the high-end talent, elite, young player, you might as well try to make the most of the next few years, bring in a Stamkos, a Reinhardt, a Nylander, someone of that level through free agency. Exactly, and again, the goal. They also have a goalie, and goalies oh, yeah. win you games. And you're committing to one of those goalies for a long time, so you do that. I mean, well, it, you look at you look at Buffalo, you look at Chicago. Those were like the two obvious like tank tear down teams. Even the yeah. Arizona Coyotes a little bit. They tore it down to the studs and did not have that. Like, they didn't have almost anyone in place outside of, like, the previous year draft pick or two to build around. So they had young players were the only people that they saw as long-term assets. Nashville has has players that are going to be there for a while. So unless they're making a trade yeah. with – and, and even that, they're not trading both goalies. They, they've worked hard to acquire and develop two guys. They're not trading both. One of those is there long-term, and one of those will win them games. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think for me, I'm not saying we are wrapping up yet, but I feel like I've touched on pretty much every aspect of the Nashville Predators. And for me to really sum up what's going on here is on paper, you have that full surrounding cast. What we're seeing as far as performance is you're about a 500 team, maybe a little bit better than that. And from the numbers, I would say you, they are a little bit better than that. Find that top guy and you might actually make some noise later into the playoffs. Yeah. I I actually was about to wrap this up because there isn't like, there's not more prospects to yes. There's other prospects in their prospect pool, but I don't know who's actually going to be an NHL player or a contributor. Like it, I think the only way right now, looking at what they have, what we've discussed, so yes, they could have a star goalie for, for a very, very long time. Defense, I mean, they would need Tanner Mullendike to take like multiple steps forward from where he's projected. The only prospect at forward that probably has star potential is is Matthew Wood, and I'm not sitting here guaranteeing that by any means, but that's that's what kind of Nashville seems to have. That's the profile of their prospects. I'm going to pick on another Central Division team that we've already talked about, Minnesota. Nashville and Minnesota both find themselves in very similar situations as far as good enough that they're about a 500 team not good enough to make the playoffs so they they 
lack the ability to draft the high-end talent. Nashville is the same situation as Minnesota, except they have cap space. I would argue Minnesota at least has some young guys that project to be stars or borderline stars. They have a Boldy, they have a Kaprizov, they have a Rossi. I'm not like yes, that, that, but that's better than Nashville has. That's more than Nashville. Boldy has. and Kaprizov, yes. I I would think if, if you're lining things up, you say okay, Nashville has Forsberg, Minnesota has Kaprizov and Boldy. You're kind of waiting for maybe one of the younger guys in Nashville to put himself into that conversation, and it, it's not exactly the same roster as as far as how the rosters are built. They both are just in that situation where they're again they're not bad enough for elite talent. They're not good enough to make a cup run. They're both kind of lacking, honestly, a number one center like a true yeah minnesota at least has a dart to throw at that dartboard i don't think nashville does like marco rossi i i'm like it's we don't know exactly i would feel more comfortable saying he could be a number one center than anything nashville has in their system at this point most likely yeah and but again i'll keep going back and forth here nashville i think is better positioned to sign a player next year, much better positioned. I, I guess if if I was to pick a team that I'd be most excited about taking over, I would pick Nashville. I would probably re up Soros and sign like a, a Reinhardt or a Nylander. Or I mean, I I can't make them sign the contract, but I would heavily target them in free agency i i, I throw an offer sheet at elias Patterson. well yeah so. yeah but well if we were running things but that rarely happens yeah. so i'm not confident in it but yeah so yeah nash nashville they would be i mean barry trotz has i mean he set his own situation up a little bit and then just yeah. looking at the draft picks as we as we wrap this up this upcoming draft the first three seconds two thirds three fourths that's so I, I I don't like I think once you start getting later in the draft, it's it, like GMs overvalue those picks. But like four picks in the top 64 is good. The year after, likely two firsts. There's some conditions attached to the lightning Tanner Janot pick a second, a third, a four. So they, they have two firsts. So potentially two firsts, I guess I should say. It could so. Get- pushed but so they'll have that lightning as a first at some point down the road yes so they have the draft capital maybe they can package some of those picks together to move up again they also have a bonus first where they could offer sheet elias petterson and still have a first potentially so Mm -hmm. i I, i'm really gonna push for this to happen over the next however many months so uh, this will probably not be the last time you hear about a Nashville offer sheet for Elias Pettersson. Well, I, I more have a feeling it's not going to be the only team where we <laughs> hear you say you should offer sheet. Elias probably Patterson. not, but I, I, I think but, Nashville is one of the best fits. But Yes, no, I agree. They, they are right there just needing the top guy. I will That's, say that that will be the last time you hear me push an offer sheet for Elias Pettersson in this episode because with that, yeah. we'd like <laughs> to uh, thank you for listening. 
appreciate you subscribing, following us on uh, Twitter, Blueski. That we'll talk to you next time.